Well, good morning. You may be seated. <clears throat> it's great to be with you. My name is Jonathan Wiggins, and I have the privilege of serving as the district superintendent uh, here in the Rocky Mountain District, of which Calvary Alliance Church is a part of. So as Pastor Tim mentioned, our district <clears throat> covers um, a pretty good territory. Basically, uh, Minot is on the eastern end, and we go uh, all through western North Dakota and South Dakota and Montana and Wyoming and the mountain time zone of Idaho. So from Minot to like Nampa, Boise, Idaho, and from far northwestern Montana to Cheyenne or Rapid City. So that's kind of the district that we have. And um, it's interesting, I think there's about 4 million people in our district in a population. And we have 55 churches in our district. And uh, obviously Calvary Alliance is one of them. So it's great to be able to be with you once again and to be able to worship, and uh, to be able to open God's Word together. Uh, Pastor mentioned about Chris uh, Tweedy, who's coming in a few weeks. Chris is my assistant, and uh, we've been together for seven and a half years. Uh, Lori and I have been in this role for ten and a half years, and uh, it was, it's been just a delight. You're going to love Chris, and I will tell you, without saying too much, SDI is great. <laughs> uh, it's well worth coming to and being a part of. And your pastor was accurate. Um, if you're going to do it, there's a lot of pre-work that we have to do when we teach it, and we need your help in that. And so uh, Chris needs, if you're going to be in it, uh, he needs you to complete the, the instruments and stuff and uh, so that he can be well-prepared and ready to serve you when he comes. And uh, we're thankful for your engagement in Alliance Missions. Uh, I know that Aaron was here, uh, was it last week? And uh, <clears throat> my sister was here a while back, and she wanted me to give her greetings to you, Janice Greenfield, and she wanted me to say thank you to you for your gifts uh, that helped uh, with their church plant in Zacatecas, Mexico. And uh, what a great name. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, so my sister, you know, her husband died like almost six years ago now, and uh, so she went back uh, to Mexico and came back to the States and was going to retire, but they wanted her to go back again. And uh, there was a team that was going to plant in Zacatecas. So literally the other day on my phone, uh, Snapchat or whatever it's called, WhatsApp, sorry, WhatsApp, I can't remember, Instagram, Snapchat, WhatsApp, who cares, what's this, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, so she, she uh, sent us a note on WhatsApp and... Uh, she just said, yeah, I'm going to the airport. It's a little scary. There's an insurrection going on right now, and there's you know, bullets flying and soldiers and blah, 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 blah. Just casually, you know. <laughs> Would you pray for me? Like, sure. Happens all the time, you know, in Billings where we live, right? It happens all the time in Minot here. And, and she, said, she said, yeah, there's, there's kind of a mini war going on. I'm like, oh, okay. So oftentimes we tell our people, Pray for our international workers like you would pray for yourself, right? If something's going on with your family, well, most times international workers have that going on in their family. If, if there's something happening at work and there's challenges, most likely international workers are facing things like that. Probably not too many of us have faced like bullets flying in Minot as we're trying to go to the airport. So there are some limits, right? And so, uh, but Janice wanted me to send her greetings to you and to also express her thanks for your kindness uh, to their church plant. 
So the Christian missionary that you heard from Aaron last week, but uh, two weeks ago, um, there are roughly 700 plus international workers, and uh, we have about 6 million people that attend Alliance churches outside of the U.S., and six nations themselves, the presence of the Alliance in those nations is much larger than here in the U.S. And because uh, we're taping this, I can't tell you what those are, but it's amazing what God's doing. And there's like 26 nations themselves that now have sent out international workers. Because our international workers for 135 years have gone into countries to, to embed themselves into the culture, into the traditions, into the, the customs, and learn the language and create a presence so that we can share Christ with people. And churches have been established and educational institutions have been established. Medical missions have been established and all kinds of things going on to enable people to hear about the gospel, to have gospel access and to be able to hear about Christ. You know, in our culture, in our world, in our country, we can hear about Jesus like 24-7, can't we? If we really want to. I mean, I have never done this before and we're not going to do it today. But think about it. We could go around the room and say, what version do you read? Well, there's the New International. Well, is it 84 or is it 2011? Is it 2001? Well, King James, all right? New King James, right? New American Standard. New Revised Standard. English Standard Version. You know, there's a thing, you know, you can get an app on your phone, right? U version. There's a thing called the easy-to-read version, ERV. Sometimes it's greatly used by people whose second language is English. And I've heard various people preach out of the English, the easy-to-read version. <laughs> At first I thought it was a joke. And then I looked it up and it's like, no, it's a thing. It's a real, it's a real version. So we have access all over the place here in America, don't we? But there are places in our world, friends, still today, who've never heard of Jesus. And that's a part of the family that you're a part of here at Calvary Alliance. Well, I'd like us to pray, and then we're going to dive into God's Word this morning for us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to be here today and to be able to worship, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the songs that we've sung, the words that we've sung. Lord, we lift your name on high. Lord, we love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. Father, I'm so glad you are our life if we have come to Christ on his terms. Thank you, Lord, that we can sing songs of declaration, that we can sing songs of encouragement, that we can sing songs of praise to you, that lift our height, our sights rather, beyond just what we are a part of right now. Maybe some of us this morning come and we're enduring things. Maybe some of us come this morning and we're enjoying things. Maybe some of us come this morning and we're just kind of like making it. And others of us just feel like nothing is going right. So God, wherever we find ourselves this morning, we are thankful that while none of us knows everything that's going on in every heart and life in this room, you know, and we can trust you, and we can lean into you, and we can abandon ourselves to you and say, God, have your way. Have your way. 
So Lord, this morning, we ask that as we look into your word in a variety of places, as we seek to understand perhaps you in a deeper way this morning, God, would you have freedom to speak to each one of us, how each one of us needs it, in the way each one of us needs it. And we're thankful, Lord, that we can ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I must tell you, uh, what was it, three weeks ago tomorrow night, I was actually watching a football game. And this DeMar Hamlin dude, some of you have heard this story, was making a tackle for the Buffalo Bills against a Cincinnati Bengal football player, T. Higgins. And he bounced right up and then fell over and had a massive heart attack on the football field. And it was, it was kind of in real time, it was just amazing to watch from a variety of different vantage points. First, there was a guy who bounced right up and then just, boo, bam, just fell right over. And then there were the, the, the um, football players from different teams, both teams, came over and they were like, whoa, and then all of a sudden you just saw, you know, the people, the rescuers come and just pile in. And then all of a sudden it got real quiet. And then the announcers didn't know what to say. They just knew it was bad. Well, I'm old enough to remember, because then they split to the, to the uh, studio, and they're like, this is unprecedented. We haven't seen ambulances on the field, and, and something serious has happened. And, you know, they're trying to fill time. And they're like, we've never seen this before. When I was a kid, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, there was a Detroit Lion football player in 1971, Chuck Schmidt, who died on the field. He was a wide receiver. And most of the night, nobody ever said anything because we're pretty short with history in America, aren't we? You know, you think about it. I mean, how many people remember four years ago what was going on? How many people remember 12 years ago? I, I was sitting up front so I didn't hear the brother, but I remember 50 years ago today was Roe v. Wade. 50 years ago. And this is the first anniversary where it isn't the law of the land in the Constitution. 50 years it took. Well, this guy, Damar Hamlin, they're trying to work him out and everything, and, and I was stunned by some of the announcers. They went back to the studio, and the, the Susie Culber, who's on ESPN, she's just like, she didn't know what to say. There was nothing inside of her that could speak to that situation. Schefter didn't know what to say. Booger McFarland didn't know what to say. They were all stunned, and then they were all worried, like, is he going to live? All of a sudden, life and death intruded into an event that was like, hey, playoffs, it's, it's got implications, and it's a big game. And Intruding into all of that was life and death. And there was not much that could be said from many of those people. I believe it was the next day. They were still wondering, is he going to live? And this one announcer on ESPN, Dan Orlovsky, prays on live TV. Because, you know, when they were going through it on Monday night, it was like, well, our, our thoughts are with him. And then, you know, the NFL said that. And others would say, our thoughts and prayers are with him. And not to be rude, but I wondered, who are you praying to? We have so marginalized God from our culture. And we can be sucked into some of that as well. But you look at when statements are made, our thoughts are with them. Our thoughts are with them. 
used to be our thoughts and prayers, or our prayers and thoughts are with whatever. And so this guy prays on, on live ESPN. I know it's cable, but they hit a lot of people. And his prayer was like, God, sometimes we don't always know what's going on. We don't always know what's happening. But we thank you that we can talk to you and ask you and, and look to you. Anyways, he prayed a little bit, and he didn't say in Jesus' name at the end, but he said, thank you that we can ask this in your name, amen. Something to that effect. And it was stunning because of the marginalization of how God has been put in our culture. And I must admit, when I saw this, I was like, he's actually doing it. And the gal that was the host, she didn't know what to say. And the uh, uh, analyst, uh, a former NFL player, a big guy, um, he's a Marcus Spears, he's a writer now, and he's, he's like, respectful, mm-hmm, yep, respectful. They didn't know what to say. Friends, God still interrupts our lives. Sometimes it's in a shocking fashion. Damar Hamlin is recovering. He's not out of the woods yet. He's back home. He's, you know, been shown on different things, and, and he's recovering. And now there's all these stories about him. How many of us had ever heard of Damar Hamlin before three weeks ago? I hadn't. And I like football. <laughs> But it was interesting, the people that came out of the woodwork to talk about him. And he had a foundation that had like $2,500 that he'd raised. Now it's like $9 million for families in Pittsburgh, where he's from. So my point is, sorry for the long inter, inter, you know, beginning here, but the Bible talks about the heart. The Bible talks about your heart. And about my heart. And it's interesting in Scripture, some of the things that God's Word says about the heart. Because the heart is not just the seat of life, right? If our hearts stop, what happens? Life stops, right? We die. We can't live too long without a beating heart. But in the Scriptures, the heart can also be the seat of, of emotion, right? Even in our culture today, right? What's coming up in a few weeks? Valentine's Day, right? I remember one time a guy saying, that, that's kind of like when, when good guys remind their wives they love them and bad guys back the truck up to remind them. You know, and it's like, there's all the cards, right? The cards have been out like since the day after Christmas, right? I mean, you go to, you go to places and they have Valentine's cards like the 27th of December. But the heart can be the seat of emotion as well. And it's interesting because in Genesis chapter 6, we're going to kind of walk through the Bible, so I don't have a particular passage of Scripture, but we have a lot of Scripture, okay? Genesis chapter 6, just before the flood filled the earth, in verses 5 and 6, it says this, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness had become. It was only five chapters in, Right? And the first two are like, here's creation. We won't get off on that one. But, you know, it's interesting. If you really study the Bible, if we say, ah, I don't really believe in creation, then you're not believing what Jesus said. You're not believing what David said. You're not believing what Moses said. You're not believing what Paul said. You're not believing. There's just all different people throughout the Scriptures who talked about creation. It didn't take five chapters. And all of a sudden, God is sad 
Because it says here how great man's wickedness had become. And then it says that every inclination of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. And his heart was filled with pain. I mean, you think about that. I have a friend who had a company, and he built it into a really good-sized company in the Detroit area. And back a number of years ago, he sold it for $40 million. And, and we were all just like, whoa, you know? And, and he, his, part of his sale of his company was to be kind of like a consultant for the first year, year and a half. The new people came in, kind of wiped out a lot of what he had done, and they kept him for a year and a half, and the company lasted only about another six months after they dumped him. Because he, he was the guy that started it from the ground up. He worked so hard to get it going. He had his hands in everything and then delegated it with good employees, but when the new people came in, they wiped it all out. And it, in some ways it broke his heart, but he had 40 million reasons why it didn't break his heart too bad, right? <laughs> but it was hard on him because that which he had given his life for and two was just poof, was gone in like two years. And so think about what this says here. God's heart was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. Why? Because every inclination of man's heart was only evil all the time. Isn't it interesting how sometimes we think like certain things are like just a manifestation in the last 20 years? I mean, you go back and look at Rome 2,000 years ago. Rome was a horrible place. It was vicious. It was immoral. It was sickening. Baby sacrifices. Some of the stuff that's happening now, we're like, oh, right? And we should be. But it didn't just start in the late 20th century. Because only the inclination of his heart was always evil. Genesis chapter 5 and chapter 6. We could see the flood, right? And we don't have time to go through all of that. A couple of years ago, Laurie and I had the privilege of going to the ark uh, down in uh, Kentucky, and it's a representation of the ark, and we had like six hours to go through it, and we could have spent like days. And it was amazing because, you know, sometimes you think like, I don't know, when I was a little kid, did anybody remember flannel graph? There's not very many old people here, so fortunately... There was this thing called flannel graph. It was before film strips. It was before PowerPoint. It was before ProPresenter, right? All that stuff. And, and I can remember the arc. And I remember thinking, little Jonathan in Sunday school, where did all the stuff that animals do go? I mean, if you have all the animals, they didn't just stop going right? So what do you do with all that? Well, the ark, they have this representation of how they think they dealt with all the stuff that animals put out, okay? And then you think about, like, if they're on the ark for a year and a half, what did they do with all the babies of the animal? Thinking, like, that's pretty wild, right? So at the ark, it says, we figure there's probably about six, 7,000 animals on the ark. Well, that's a lot of 
stuff coming out of the animals, right? But then they were like, most of them, they believe, were young ones and baby ones, not the older ones, because they didn't want them to reproduce for a year and a half on the ark. So it was, it was kind of stunning in a sense, right? But you see that God was so disgusted with man that he literally destroyed the earth except for Noah and his family. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're told, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Right? In Joshua chapter 22, after the Lord had given the promised land to the children of Israel, the Lord summoned some of the tribes and, and they were reminded again of how faithful God had been to Moses and now Joshua. Joshua 22, verse 5, they are told, be very careful to keep the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave to you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. The heart is a physical organ, right? It beats. It provides life and vitality to the body. It can be a place of emotion, but it can also be a place of the will. Have we ever said, you know, my heart really wasn't in it? Or we say, man, I'm just sold out. My heart, I'm all in, right? On and on we could go. (laughs) We could look at Saul, the first king, and how his heart strayed from the heart of God. We could see how he lost his kingdom to David, who it said had a heart after God, right? And again, fascinating to read about the life of David in the Old Testament, right? Shepherd boy, heart for God, rose to being the second king in Israel. When he was tasked with being the king in 1 Samuel chapter 16, there's a great verse because, you know, Jesse brought all of his boys in. Samuel looks at him, nope, 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 nope. Is there anybody else? Like, well, there's the shepherd boy. They bring in David. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it says this. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. I love that verse. Because my outward appearance isn't all that great. (laughs) But God looks at the heart. He knows us from afar. He knows who we are and what we are. And then we see David. Heart after God, but then we also see adulterer, murderer. And he paid a price for his sin, didn't he? And yet, and yet... We read about how when David was dying and Solomon, his son, was going to take over, David says to Solomon, I believe it's in 1 Chronicles 28, he says, Acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands Every motive behind the thoughts. 
You know, some of those superlatives in the Word of God are kind of scary, aren't they? Wouldn't it be great if it said, the Lord searches your mind and your heart and knows most of it? He'd be like, well, I hope he doesn't know about this stuff over here. But the superlatives are there. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart, not just some, not just Westerners, or not just people in the Middle East, but everyone, and understands every motive behind the thoughts. That's, that's kind of intriguing, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot right there we could just camp out on. But again, we see Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, again, what are the superlatives? In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Again, we, we can study the word heart in the Proverbs, and there's a lot that could be said there. I remember as a little boy learning, you know, memorizing Scripture. Jeremiah 17, 9, right? The heart is deceitful above all things. Again, a superlative. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Even today, there are vestiges, although it's lessened an awful lot, that men and women are basically good. Rarely do we hear evil, that word said. It's usually reserved for like Saddam Hussein or Hitler or something like that, right? Or the evil empire from way back 40 years ago. Rarely, though, do we hear this person is evil and that's why they did what they did, right? Last night there was a mass shooting in California. Did you hear about it? Ten people were killed. Ten people were injured. Shootings happen all the time in the U.S. anymore. Rarely, if ever, do we hear, you know what? That's an evil act. That's an evil thing. Because we think culture says what? Man is basically good. But the heart is deceitful above all things. and Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Ezekiel 36, 26 talks about how God will be giving people a new heart and a new spirit and removing a heart of stone and giving a heart of flesh. Man, I'm thankful for that. Each of us in this room need a spiritual heart transplant. And I've never met anybody who's had a heart transplant, but I know people who've had open heart surgery. Probably most of us do in this room, right? My brother didn't really have blockages, but he had a bad valve. And so they went in and opened him up and replaced the valve just like they did to my father. They gave dad a new valve. It was a pig valve. So I told him, you're not going to like ham, bacon, pork chops anymore, you know. But my brother, they could repair his. But for both of them, they had to cut them open. And I'll never forget, you know, my brother had his little heart pillow. You've seen people like this, you know, and they're like holding on because it wasn't fun. It wasn't like, hey, on the bucket list, let's rip me open and check my heart out, Right? None of us would have that on our bucket list. So a heart transplant 
spiritually can be a challenge. God's Word says that that's what He loves to do. That He will give us, He'll take out the heart of stone. Think about it. Like this podium here. If you've ever seen a heart, and I used to work in a morgue, the heart is supposed to be a muscle that's soft and supple. And one time I was working in the morgue, and there was an autopsy. I won't go into the whole story. But the guy was from India, and he said, This is what killed her! And her heart was calcified on one side and soft. And he used the word soft and malleable on the other. God says he's going to take out the heart of stone and give us a new heart and a new spirit and giving us a heart of flesh, one that beats after him. Well, there's a lot more we could say. I've got a lot more verses, but our time is going. I want to give you one more and then get to something else here. If you write anything down, write down Psalm 8611. Because David said this, one of, my, one of my favorite verses. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. And he says, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. If I had PowerPoint or a whiteboard, and I'm sorry, I just thought I was going to go old school today. There's, some, there's four words in that verse. Teach. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Teach, walk, give, fear. Interestingly enough, <laughs> How many of us need the Lord to teach us? I do. Man, I, the longer I live, the more I realize I need Him more, not less. I need Him more. And He says, I will walk in your truth. Walking is an action, isn't it? We don't go, you know, I, I walked 60 miles today. If we didn't do it, right? How many of you have like step things on your phones or whatever? That's the rage, right? You know, the heart monitor, and it's like, oh, you walked 6,000 steps today. And then it tells you you're naughty because you didn't do 10,000. And you're like, oh, I did 6,000. I was doing two, <laughs> you know? Walking is an action, though, isn't it? He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your, heart, in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. Think about 1 o'clock from now, hour and 50 minutes. We can be like in the moment, hearing the word, worshiping in songs, and in uh, 110 minutes, our hearts can be so divided, can't they? Because other stuff is rushed in. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to go over here. We got to go over there. He says, give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. Not like, oh, I'm afraid of you, but that I might reverence you, that you might be in your proper place, Lord, that you would be in your proper place in my life, that you would intersect and engage with me in all the stuff I'm in, at work, at home, in the school, 
on the job, in the church, in all my relationships. I don't know about you, friends, but I am so thankful that God doesn't want to be confined to just one hour a week or an hour and 11 minutes. But anyway, he wants to be engaged in the whole 168 of us. He wants to be engaged in every moment of our life. Well, on and on we could go. On and on we could go. But I wonder, how can we live in an ongoing fashion, developing a heart for God? What are the, what are the things that can help us? We can hear these verses and be like, wow, there's a lot in the Bible I really didn't realize. There's, oh, that's, that's pretty good. But how can we engage in this? What could be our next steps? Well, one might be to prioritize our schedule so that we can commune with Him. It was interesting. I remember about 15, it was 20 years ago now, a guy told me, he says, he goes, I don't prioritize my schedule anymore. Okay. He says, I schedule my priorities. He kind of flipped it. So those things that were very important to him, like literally he'd say, I schedule time with my wife. He was a busy dude. But he'd say, you know what, if someone says, hey, I need you to come to a meeting on Tuesday night, he'd say, I'm already committed somewhere. He didn't say, well, I'm going to go see my wife that night. But she was a priority. Now, in the face of it, it's like, well, you, you like schedule your wife in your schedule? What? But see, his wife was a priority. So when someone would say, hey, can you do this or that? He'd say, I'm sorry, I'm already previously committed. He didn't prioritize his schedule. He scheduled his priorities. Do we schedule time to be with the Lord? Or is it just kind of hit and miss? Or happenstance? Or somebody falls over on the field and has a heart attack and we're confronted with life and death and we see the vacuous nature of eternity in our souls. Do we commune with God? We are not short on resources. I mean, you can, you can type in, you know, walking with Christ, boom, and Google will give you hundreds of thousands of things to look at. You got a pastor, you got leaders in the church here who, if you came to them and said, I want to grow in Christ, so what should I do? After you pick them up off the floor, you know, they can give you all kinds of stuff. And there's already things available here to figure out how do I commune with Christ. We can use good music that can lift our hearts and our souls above the stuff of today. And we can commune with God. I think another thing that God would have for us when it comes to our hearts is He wants us to confess our sin to Him. We know that's true when we come to Christ for salvation. A lot of times people say, well, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, I did this or I did that. And somehow that's it. But I will tell you, over the last seven, eight years, I've thought, you know what? We really need to go back to the Scriptures and see what does it mean to come to Christ on His terms? 
He's the one. He's the one that dictates it, not us. Salvation is not man-centric. It's Christ-centric. So what does Jesus say about it? He talks about repentance. In other words, owning our own sin. Turning from it, realizing the price that was paid. Next time you have communion in two weeks or whatever it is, think about the price that was paid. It's not just, oh, here's the cup, here's the bread. Oh, wait a second, it's the bread and then the cup, right? we got to get it right. Yeah, we do. But beyond thinking about, well, yeah, how do we, you know, is the, is the stuff folded just right? You know, if you're over in Africa somewhere, you're probably not worried about, well, are the cloths just perfect? You're thinking about the elements and what they mean, the body and the blood of Christ. We confess our sin. We repent of it. We turn and walk toward him and walk away from our sin. On and on and on, we could go. We can talk about Christ, right? We've heard about the Great Commission in the last few weeks, right? <laughs> we can talk about Jesus. You've heard that phrase, so have I. You know, your life might be the only Bible somebody reads. Well, guess what? Your tongue might be the only words somebody hears about the life of Christ in someone. So let's not just say, well, you know, I, I just live the Christian life and hopefully somebody maybe somehow will figure it out. What if we don't tell them? We can commune with God. We can confess to God. We can talk about God to people. God has been so marginalized in our world, maybe it's up to us to kind of bring him back a little bit into the conversation. How many times do we shy away? I do, right? I have a sweatshirt I wore it yesterday when we went to dinner, and it has the Alliance Rocky Mountain District on it, and it has the logo of the Alliance, you know, the Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, Coming King, all the different things. And, and it's weird, because I've never had this happen, but most people don't look at me, but like, if you're me, I'll see them, they'll go, well, hi, how can I help you? All of a sudden, they're staring at my chest, you know. I'm like, okay. And they're looking at it. And there are times when I've worn that sweatshirt, and I've shied away. They'll say, you know, something, and I would like to say, well, you know, God speaks about that. I'm guilty of it. As I look at this, as I was preparing this, I thought, I need to be willing to bring God into the conversation. Sometimes I shrink back from it. Oh, you're a pastor. You're supposed to say that. So what? I'm also a Christ follower, and I should be saying it. And the last one is we can connect with God's people. Hebrews 10.25, the quintessential verse for church world, right? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why should we connect with people in the church? Well, because we need each other. We need each other. We need each other to be able to face things. Now, we have everything we need. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Bible. We have all kinds of things. 
But someone wrote a book years ago that said there were 59 one another's in the Bible that you cannot do on your own. When it says love one another, if you just vacate yourself to the mountains somewhere, or to the lake, or to the cabin, or to a place of fun somewhere, it's pretty hard to love one another if you're just by yourself, or it's just you and your family. And there's more that we can see here. In fact, I, I printed them out. So after the service, they're going to be available, whether you're here for dinner or wherever out here. But I printed them out. It's stunning. And if you say, well, I really probably should read the Bible, take this and look at it. And look at it and see how you can engage in it. So how are you doing in those areas? Communing with God through word, through prayer, through silence, through listening to Him, being filled with the Spirit, singing songs of hymns to Him, confessing your sin, conversing about Him, connecting with God's people. How are we doing? Maybe today, on this first Sunday in 50 years of life Sunday, maybe we should look at ourselves and say, Lord, what is the life of Christ doing in me? How am I doing with your life in me? Not in a like this way, but to say, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you. Would you please come and in, intercede in my life? Invade my life in a deeper way. And then, Lord, use me as you see fit. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the patience of your people this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you are alive and active and that your word is alive and active. And you're able to pierce through the, the hard-heartedness that can grow in all of us. And for some, maybe, Lord, today is the day of salvation where maybe we come to you on your terms and we receive cleansing. We repent of our sin and ask for you to do what only you can do. Many of us, though, probably in this room would say, ah, Jonathan, we've already done that. Then God, help us. <laughs> help us to consider. Are we communing with you? Are we confessing our sin? Are we conversing with you and about you to others? And are we connecting with God's people? Father, have your way. Thank you for what you're doing here at Calvary Alliance. Thank you, Lord, for this great community of Minot and the surrounding area. Thank you, God, for other Bible-teaching churches that together we can see people one to Christ and see people take steps of maturity with you. So God, have your way. Be with us today as we go now. We sing our final songs. We have dinner, fellowship to come. Lord, have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.